Thank you for clicking on the Digital Selling Secrets Podcast. If you're thinking about launching a business, this is the episode for you. Most people, when they launch a business, they're not successful. Look at the statistics. They're not good. And if you want to increase your odds, you can have a prototype or some form of demo. But even that takes months, years sometimes, and a lot of money to do. So we're going to discuss some strategies on how you can determine if your business, your business idea would actually be successful, how to collect real reliable data around that. So tune in after this one minute intro. But the reality is we're human and when we're on social media and we're only seeing the highlight reel, when something human pops up, something relatable, something vulnerable, that builds trust. Then what I have to do is offer them something that has a high enough perceived value to overcome their desire to not get pitched or spammed or bothered or annoyed. I have to go on a gut level first and foremost. What sells me? How do we take some of the repetitive, quote unquote, bureaucratic tasks out of the hands of the rep and automate those to free up time for them to spend selling? How can we create a place where it's positive, where there's nothing but motivation, education, and inspiration, and how can we do it consistently? Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining the Digital Selling Secrets podcast. On this podcast, we talk about sales, digital transformation, and leadership. And today, uh, Digital Selling Secret co-host Jerry Manicarote and I, we're going to talk about a couple things that are very important right now. One, if you decide to launch a business, because a lot of companies are being innovative right now, some people are out of jobs and they're interested in launching a business. And the other other part of the show, we're going to talk about buyer psychology. So to, uh, stay tuned for, for some great content on both of those subjects. Jerry, thanks for joining us this morning. Hey, thanks, Gary. Um, you know, it, it was interesting when you first brought this up. What, you know, what is the psychology behind it and what causes people to buy? And uh, you and I were kind of chatting about, I used to work for, um, I've worked for multiple corporations, uh, multinational, just like you, multinational, Fortune 500 and 100 corporations. And they have these focus groups who they'll put, put a product in front of them and ask them, will you buy? Would you buy this product? And those people will say, yes, most definitely. These are, this is awesome. And then they launch the product and it's a multi-million dollar failure. And they can't figure out for the life of them why. So I'm just going to throw the ball back at you to just uh, to get that conversation started. What we were talking about. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember when we were thinking about launching our app. You know, what was that? Almost three years ago, two or three years ago. And, right. And we we were out collecting market research. But it's funny. Sometimes market research isn't as helpful as you think it might be. Right. So you're right. you're asking people, what would you do in this scenario? And there's actually a book I, I recently started reading called The Right It. And um, Alberto uh, Savoyo, if I'm, if I'm pronouncing it right, Savoya, sorry. Um, he, he was a professor at Stanford, and he was an engineer at Google. And he, he calls it Thoughtland, right? Hmm. So, so when you're doing market research, a lot of times the people you're interviewing or asking, whether it be a focus group or survey or whatever it is, they're in Thoughtland. They're, 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 thinking about how they would act in that particular scenario, which is very hard to do. And they don't realize the biases that may be at play. You don't realize the biases that may be at play. They, right. may, be, they may be saying, yes, I would buy that just to make you feel good. You know, they, they may be saying that, 
maybe they're in a certain mood at the time where they, where they're just trying to, maybe they're just trying to get the market research done and just, they're not really thinking about it. Right. And, but let's say they're genuinely trying to give you accurate information. Can they even do that? Can they put their self in that mindset of actually buying that product or actually moving forward through the process? And according to the book, it's very rare that you actually can. You actually have to be in that scenario to really get the best, best data. You know, I find that interesting that you said that, you know, for when we were first trying to launch that uh, product years ago and um, <clears throat> the amount of market research, we did some very innovative things to get the market research. Remember the whole uh, lab coat <laughs> and clipboard uh, clipboard thing where we were able to get some really good data because of that. That and actually then, worked really well. Right. Yeah. And, um, <clears throat> and then also, uh, also the other one where we went to the, uh, we went to that other business event where you had a lot of these uh, high rollers out there and, and mixing with them. And that time we had our suits on and, and a jacket and tie to see a different mentality. Mm -hmm. But all in all, you're right. That did not go anywhere it, because all these people were saying, yes, we we're very interested in this. We're very interested in it. But at the end of the day, you started realizing nobody is truly willing to pull the trigger, so to speak, when it comes to, separating cash however small it may be um, from themselves in order to get that product so that's the probably the toughest part over here um is is trying to get that get that mindset and you were talking about some of those examples that uh they talked about in the book over there what they did to those creative ways to figure out to get into people's mindsets uh, could you talk a little bit about that yeah yeah and, and before i jump <clears throat> jump into that i just want to so Jerry mentioned the white, <clears throat> excuse me, Jerry mentioned the white coats uh, earlier. And there's been proven studies around wearing, if you wear a white uh, kind of doctor's coat, you're automatically seen as somebody that um, is educated, or I forgot the exact messaging, but somebody that is, is, is uh, legitimate, right? Right. So, so we were able to get some really good market research through that. We actually stood in an area of a school campus and as people came by, they would stop because we were wearing these white uh, doctor's coats and we were able to get some really good market research. Um, and it gave us some, some general information on some interest, but it really, we really could not use that and, and should not use that to launch a product. And um, so um, what I'm trying to say is, it, is that market research was better than somebody else's market research, of course, because right. anybody's, anybody can kind of spin market research to make it look a certain way. So let's say you found, you Googled and found some market research on a product that you're thinking, of. you don't know if that market research is legitimate or not. You don't know the purpose behind that. It could be to help somebody else sell a product just to, it could be uh, fake data, if you will. Um, so your own market research is better but in this book right here that uh, Jerry mentioned, The Right It, it talks about launching, uh, it's not a prototype. I know uh, if you can do a prototype, obviously that's way better than market research because then you have people interacting with your product and maybe even do, purchasing a small version of it. But the problem is even a prototype can take months or years to develop depending on what your product is. So in this book, it talks about Predotype. So there's things you can do before you launch a business 
to really understand if a client would actually buy. And, the, and what you do is you actually ask them to buy or ask them to move to, through that next step in the sales process. Right. For, for example, I, there was a computer company they referenced, I think it was IBM, where IBM back in, it was either the 80s or 90s, where, where they were going to come out with a software where instead of you typing, you uh, just talked and it would appear on the screen. And they thought it was the text. Yeah. Speech to text. And, and they thought it was this great idea. And it, I mean, it is a good idea. Think about it. Who wouldn't want that? It's just, especially if you don't know how to type back and back right. then, not everybody knew how to type. They, they had have secretaries that did all their typing for them and things like that. But so instead of IBM, I think it was IBM. Don't quote me on that. Instead of them developing the software and taking months, years and millions of dollars to develop it, what they did was they acted like the software was already developed and then they had one of their secretaries behind the scenes or their assistant behind the scenes actually doing all the typing, right? Right. Okay. So they would have customers come up and they're like trying out the software and they're talking just like you and I are talking. And then the text is coming up because they have someone in the back room, right? Right. And so they were seeing if people would actually buy it. And then after they would try it out, they would say, do you want to buy it? Or, you know, and with the right messaging, but basically, do you want to buy it? <laughs> and uh, surprisingly, nobody really did. But the market research showed that they would, that everybody, there, there was some kind of hidden, I for, you know, I forget exactly what the reason was, but there was some, some reason that made people skeptical about doing it. And um, so for, for, for that particular reason, so you may have a really good idea that makes perfectly logical sense, but until you actually put a client in that scenario, you don't really know if there's true interest in that. So that, that's, that, was, that, 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 that was kind of the gist of it. But so that, that was one of the examples. So then the, the question then comes down to like, if I am going to start a business and I have this great concept and then, you know, both you and I know we had uh, our mentors and, and, you know, some of these mentors have made these amazing businesses that have been featured in Forbes and, and all that. Um, they said, you're falling in love with your product. You need to take a step back and, and uh, truly assess it. And that's how we ended up pivoting or whatever, but that's a different story. But if today, if I'm, I'm, starting a business and I have this great concept that I believe is a great concept. How do I test it out then? Yeah. And it, re it really depends on the type of business. And I wish I would have known this before I launched my first business. Cause I think I could have one came up with an even better idea, but probably got traction even faster, but you're actually absolutely right about falling in love with your idea. I sometimes I'll come up with an idea and, and I don't even want to Google it. Cause I don't want to find out that, somebody else is already doing it, you know, cause right. you're, you're so in love with it. You're like, or more than that is that somebody else has failed at it. Right. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. And unfortunately um, with one of my businesses in the past, when I did that, <laughs> I did that too late. It was already launched and I found out, Oh wow. That, you know, here's an exact same company that they don't appear to be doing anything. Um, I mean, you could still make it work to a certain extent with, doing a lot of things right but if you get one thing wrong then it can it completely uh ruin your possibility of any um great success if you will i mean sure there's businesses out there that can be mediocre but if you really want to be successful there's better ways to do it 